Hi there, and welcome to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and I want to thank you so much for being here with us today, being the proactive parent that you are and getting the resources that you need to recover your own child from their symptoms of autism and the definition of recovery being to regain health and whatever level of optimum results that you can get with your child is what I want to help you achieve. Because if your child can sleep better, if their immune system stronger so that they're healthier, if they can can be able to stay calm and control their moods and just be happier and and overall you know have happier healthier and independent lives and that that's really the goal is to to do what we can for them and you know I, I as you know my story as well my, when my son was diagnosed with autism I was told to drug him and try behavioral therapies and good luck there would be nothing we could do for him but my holistic background and studying the brain as a craniosacral therapist, I knew that the brain could heal and I believed that my son could get better. And I wanted to find out what the causes of his symptoms were, not just mask, you know, mask them with dangerous drugs. So I started doing my research and uh, now 14 years later, my son is fully recovered from his symptoms of autism and he's graduating college in one week. I'm so excited for him. And, um, and that's what I want to make sure is that you can get the best results possible. And there is a whole process to this, you know, it's it diet alone is not enough. There's much more to it. And so I've put together a free online workshop for you called the four stages to naturally recover from the symptoms of autism. Stage one, we go through healing the gut. Stage two is natural and safe heavy metal detoxification. Stage three is clearing the co-infections like mold, Lyme, and pandas or strep. And we're going to talk about that today too. And then the fourth is brain support and repair because once you get the toxins and the inflammation out of the way, you want, then your child can be who they are and you know what what other assistance they might still need. And that is all available, available to you right now. You can register again. It's free, naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop. No spaces, just free workshop. And as I mentioned, those co-infections of autism, and one of those is PANS or PANDAS, and which is an acronym, and basically it stands for Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Disorders, and when it's PANDAS, associated with strep, streptococcal infections. So you'll commonly hear it referred to as PANS or strep. But um, we have an expert with us today on this subject, Dr. Madeline Cunningham, and I'm very excited to have her with us today. She, again, is an expert in this field and has developed some high, high-end um, testing panels that other doctors are utilizing. And so we're going to go through for you as a parent signs to look for with, uh, with the flare-ups that your child might have, uh, what the symptoms could be, and what the things that you can do about it. So let me give you just a little bit of background on Dr. Cunningham. She is a PhD in the George Lynn Cross Research and a George Lynn Cross Research Professor in the Department of Microbiology and Immunology and the Presbyterian Health Foundation Presidential Professor of Microbiology and Immunology, and for the past 20 years has been the director of the NIAID-funded immunology training program at the University of Oklahoma Health Sciences Center. She is the co-founder and chief scientific officer of Moleculara 
Labs. Dr. Cunningham's laboratory has studied molecular mimicry, autoimmunity, and infection related to inflammation, inflammatory heart disease for the past 30 years. She's pioneered the development of human MABS in understanding the pathogenesis of human diseases. Currently, her laboratory is focused on translational research of human diseases to improve their diagnosis and treatment and determine how infections play a role in inflammatory diseases of the heart and the brain. She has been the recipient of the NHLBI Career Development Award. That merit award has been funded by the NIH for the past 32 years. She is author of over 150 publications in peer-reviewed journals and speaks nationally and internationally on the findings of her research. Dr. Cunningham's laboratory studies the role of autoimmunity, inflammation, and infection in movement and behavioral disorders associated with group A streptococcal infections, including sydenham chorea, the neurological manifestation of rheumatic fever, and pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorders and stress, and pediatric acute onset. Now, neurologic syndrome to determine the presence and the role of anti, this is getting lengthy, I know, but neuronal autoantibodies, and the antibodies are what Dr. Cunningham is really an expert in here too, which can signal the brain in these types of diseases. So her research has investigated pans and pandas in autism spectrum disorders, and um, that, and it's been supported by many uh, autism foundations. And so what we want to do is, um, go through some of, of these things and basically kind of explain to you a little bit more about what all that means, because I know it was a little scientific there. Dr. Cunningham, thank you so much for being here with us today. Well, I'm delighted to be here, and thank you so much for that that wonderful introduction. <laughs> I think it's important for people to know, you know, your background and how extensive it is, because you are quite the expert in this field, and, and that you know, that really means a lot. So to some of our listeners who maybe this is new to, can you go ahead and just give some, some, or, you know, basic kind of 101 on pans and pandas, a little about yeah. what it is and what it means and, you know, things they can look for, et cetera. Yes, absolutely. And I think I'll start out with talking a little bit about the background because that will help them understand where it's coming from. I think everyone's children have um, whether they've had it or not, they've been worried they might get strep from another child, and mm-hmm. uh, have been wor- or maybe worried that they had strep throat. And uh, actually, strep throat occurs in about one quarter of all the sore throats of children, and uh, the rest are viral or uh, something else. And um, so, I began my studies years ago. Uh, when I began my work, uh, working on my Ph.D. on a vaccine for group A strep. And then it kind of morphed into when I opened my own lab, I decided I would study autoimmunity and infection and that this would be a way to study autoimmune diseases in children and that were related to strep. And so that got us into rheumatic heart disease and um, was funded for some time uh, in that area. And then uh, Dr. Susan Sweeto called me and said that they had uh, discovered a disease that was related to strep and rheumatic fever potentially. And so um, at that point, I had been investigating autoantibodies against the heart 
And we immediately, um, this was, I guess, I'd been working on STRAP for 20 years when she called me. And um, we immediately began to investigate patients with Sydenham Korea. And as you were mentioning in my introduction, Sydenham Korea is the neurologic manifestation of acute rheumatic fever. And we chose to study it um, more in the beginning, although we were also investigating pans and pandas. Um, because it was an accepted disease. It's one that, that everyone knows exists and um, people could accept and seem to be very related to pandas because what we discovered uh, was that the same antibodies present in Korea were present in pandas. So what we want to do is, is uh, find out, you know, a lot more about this go into these these things in depth and we're going to take a short break right here so when we come back from the break we can really dive in so you're listening to naturally recovering autism stay with us we will be right back have you ever wondered why some children recover from their symptoms of autism while others never seem to get any better after 13 years of research karen thomas has recovered her own son from his symptoms of autism naturally she now shares how she did it with you in her free webinar so that you can have the right resources and knowledge to help your child the definition of recovery is to regain health karen offers this to you in four stages healing the gut natural heavy metal detoxification balancing the co-infections of autism brain support and repair Register now for this free webinar to help you know what you can do to help your child to sleep better, be more calm, improve focus, and reach their fullest potential to live a happy, healthy life. Go to naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop. Empowering parents with the resources to naturally recover autism from a mom who's done it. Hi there and welcome to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and today we're talking about autoimmunity with PANS and streptococcal infections in autism. And we have Dr. Madeline Cunningham with us, who is an expert in this field. And before the break, we were talking about some of the, the manifestation of some of these, these what these infections can create. So Dr. Cunningham, you want to just go ahead with where we left off? Yes, I will. I was uh, discussing Sydenham Korea. Uh, and that uh, as I began to collaborate with Dr. Susan Sweeto at the NIH, <clears throat> Uh, we uh, studied Sydenham Korea first because it was an um, unacceptable disease from um, that is the neurologic manifestation of rheumatic fever, and it has the same antibodies. <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the same antibodies as present in um, in pandas, and so um, we've studied both of the diseases kind of side by side uh, as we've gone along, and so. Um, in discovering the uh, autoantibodies, we found them, of course, in stages. It wasn't like we found all of them at once, but we, we began uh, investigating uh, the autoantibodies in a person, uh, that a patient that was just there in the hospital here uh, in Oklahoma City, and discovered that the antibodies do signal neuronal cells in the brain. And so this was one of our first um, uh, publications that let the medical world know that um, uh, autoantibodies could actually signal cells in the brain. And uh, since that time, of course, um, uh, people, scientists like Dratan Agalu, 
I have investigated the autoantibodies as they, well, not the autoantibodies, but the, how they might actually get into the brain. And so the infections actually um, uh, of strep and, and other other uh, potential organisms combine uh, in the um, uh, sinuses and uh, the uh, T cells that respond uh, that are there uh, can crawl up and um, produce cytokines uh, in the uh, olfactory bulb or in an area there where uh, it will break the blood-brain barrier and the antibodies will get into the brain, both in Sydenham, Korea, and in PANS and PANDAS and any of these diseases that uh, are um, going to be uh, right there in the sinus and colds, viruses, I mean, many things that can infect the sinuses can play a role. Uh, so anyway, we uh, developed a, uh, realized that there was more than just the signaling that it were autoantibodies against tubulin, which is the um, major protein that is uh, in the brain, and then also lysogangliocide, which is a component on the surface uh, it helps hold the membrane together on the neuronal cells. And we investigated those and published on those first. And then we began to realize that uh, perhaps there were receptors on the surface of neuronal cells that were important. And this led to the discovery that both Sydenham Korea and Pandas and Pans were um, dopamine receptor uh, encephalitis uh, types of disease. And uh, this has been very exciting to us. And finally, um, we have, uh, I think, pub probably published enough, and I've spoken with a lot of the people in the encephalitis field because uh, we would go, they've had two meetings in Barcelona, and we've gone and presented our work there and discussed this with the people that work in the encephalitis field. And so finally, Pandas and Pans has been or been recognized as a dopamine receptor encephalitis uh, in um, um, autoimmune psychoses. And this position paper was just published uh, in uh, 2019. So we were, we were really quite excited about getting a recognition for the field uh, in this way. And so um, as children get infected with strep, they make these autoantibodies I think we all do, and it helps protect ourselves against infection. So this is really a normal thing that we do is we make the autoantibodies, but in most people, they're not harmful. Uh, and in some people, they do get into the brain, and they uh, bind tightly and can cause some signaling uh, in the brain, and it depends on how much signaling they do and perhaps how much of the antibodies you produce. And since there are four different antigens, which um, I can list, they're tubulin, lysogangliocide, and then the dopamine receptors, dopamine receptor 1 and dopamine receptor 2. And the autoantibodies actually, because it's, um, they are cross-reactive, some of the autoantibodies uh, can bind to all four of the antigens. And some children have one of these. Some of them, we may, might not find any of them, yet the uh, antibodies in their blood would still signal the neuronal cells. Um, so the, once they signal the neuronal cells, then they actually um, 
produce too much dopamine. And the antibodies also can bind to the receptors and make them more sensitized to the dopamine. So this is an abnormal situation and leads to uh, unwanted behaviors and uh, psychotic behaviors in, in some children when they're very, very severe. Uh, so some of the things that are, I think, really, really important are understanding um, that your child has this and that it is a, an instantaneous thing almost overnight that a child when they're maybe seven years old, nine years old, um, and the disease is more prevalent in males, it's in males to females three to one, um, that your child overnight will either uh, become uh, having outbursts or rages or they may uh, actually be fearful that you may leave them and have separation anxiety that's very severe. Uh, they may also have certain um, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder behaviors where uh, they keep uh, doing things repeatedly. And of course, many obsessions, um, doing them makes you feel better. So they, when they begin to build up this feeling, then it's something that they must do and your program is on autism. So the pandas and pans we're finding uh, is present uh, as a comorbid uh, disease with, uh, with autism. I don't know, uh, Karen, if you have heard many of the autism parents talking about that or not. Oh yeah, definitely. Even in my membership program, I work with parents uh, in the pans and pandas arena all the time. I mean, it's a very, very, very common. Um, I would say the majority of the kids have it. Uh, and that's when it's nice to, to know this, that these sudden onsets, as you're talking about of OCD and, and anxiety, all of a sudden they're like, like everything's all of a sudden my child changed what happened. And so it's usually triggered back to this. And, and this is a, a great subject to dive further into. And I want to make sure that we do, we need to take a short break right here. So you're listening to naturally recovering autism. Stay with us. We will be right back. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I am your host, Karen Thomas, and today we're talking with Dr. Madeline Cunningham on autoimmunity, PANS or PANDAS, and streptococcal infections in autism. And these are co-infections of autism. They basically mimic a lot of the symptoms of autism. We were just talking about some of these symptoms you'll see with PANS or PANDAS, an overnight or sudden onset of OCD or rages or being really fearful and separation anxiety. And um, and it's really important to know, you know, some of these issues and what they're triggered by. So I think it, that it's important if we talk about what can trigger some of these things to come on and what to look for. And then these dopamine receptors are also really interesting about, you know, maybe Dr. Cunningham, if you could talk a little bit more about that. Um, the encephalitis or the autoimmunity, it's basically yeah. the auto, the immune system in a sense is attacking the brain. Is it correct? I mean, is that kind of in right. a right. layman's person's way to say um, it? Yeah. Right, right. Because uh, what I think I would, would was trying to convey is that you have an infection, whether it's strep or something else, and you are um, the antibodies, um, and uh, all of us make antibodies to protect ourselves against infections. And I think that's the basic underlying premise that you can't get away from it. Most of us make these antibodies and they prevent, they bind to strep or bind to a virus and it's important for us to make them 
so that we we won't have them again or not for a long time. And so sometimes in certain people, um, their immune system gets out of control and we make too many autoantibodies and we make them where they bind too strongly. And these in particular bind, get into the brain uh, as you have an infection and cytokines or uh, other things, maybe even the autoantibodies can help break the uh, vasculature and they will end up and get into the brain. Um, Sometimes T cells uh, also are activated in the uh, sinuses that help break the blood-brain barrier. They're producing cytokines. But you were asking about the dopamine receptors, and uh, quite some time ago, as I said, we were investigating Sydenham, Korea, and we began to realize that um, uh, these antibodies were in um, a ratio, and that ratio actually correlated with the symptoms like the OCD or irritability or uh, various uh, rages and types of behaviors that uh, children would have um, uh, either uh, after the Sydenham Korea or um, in the case of pans and pandas, uh, this very sudden onset. Uh, where the antibodies have gotten into the brain and they have affected parts of the brain. And so if you bind to the dopamine receptors on the cells, then what does this mean? That is signaling the cells to make too much dopamine. And dopamine is a neurotransmitter that affects other cells in the brain and signals to other parts uh, of the brain too. And the basal ganglia is in general, uh, it's a basal ganglia encephalitis and what that means is itis means uh, inflammation and so uh, all of this just produces an inflammatory uh, situation in the brain uh, that may alter and often does in these children that have pans and pandas alters their behaviors and it uh, of course um, in, involves um, uh, different different pathways uh, but the um, important thing is to recognize it, is to recognize that uh, these these uh, children are having this response and get them to a doctor. Oftentimes they won't have necessarily a sore throat, but maybe a sibling uh, or someone at school or strap may be going around at school. And so uh, you should take your child in and have their throat cultured or or have a swab taken for a quick strep test and find out if they're positive and get treatment to them as quickly as possible. And this treatment would be penicillin is the treatment of choice, but also um, the um, azithromycin or erythromycin is also a choice uh, if your child is allergic to penicillin. But this is really important because if you treat your child, oftentimes they will get, get well. Sometimes it takes prolonged treatment, uh, but oftentimes if you catch it very early and treat it with antibiotics, then the child will get well and you will not see this again. But if it, if, you know, it comes back and it's repeated, this is how rheumatic fever from group A strep occurs, is the repeated infections lead to the symptoms of rheumatic fever, which is... is um, the heart and brain manifestations. And uh, my opinion, I guess, to ramble, ramble on off into a slightly different area, 
is why why this type of disease now is that um, back in the 1940s when we had rheumatic fever and there was a lot of Sydenham Korea and heart disease in children and the wards were filled in the hospitals of children that were dying of a rheumatic valvular heart disease, that this doesn't happen uh, as much anymore, partly because of the penicillin, but also because those children never grew up and had children because they either died or were unable to have children. So my opinion is that the genes are different now in our population and we're seeing the pans and pandas and then for parents to be able to recognize it is to see this acute onset and uh, get treatment for their child. Uh, As I was saying, oftentimes a sibling in the household could have strep and the child that doesn't really maybe show such symptoms would begin uh, ticking or would begin having a rage or having um, regression problems right away. Uh, and the other child would not be sick yet, but then in a day or two they would become sick. And so they're almost like a bellwether of the uh, sibling that may be carrying the strep and getting sick. So paying attention, very careful attention to these things that are happening in your children could um, could help you take, end up taking your child in as soon as possible, getting antibiotic treatment and getting it cleared up so that it could go away. Um, there are other other treatments um, that that are important if if it persists, um, which include um, the um, treatment by by getting therapy. Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is very very important. It is not the only treatment, but it helps a family, I think, adjust. I don't know, Karen. Do you recommend that often? What I find is if we can work on the biology a bit and get the inflammation and the toxins down, then the brain is able to actually function a lot better and do do the any types of behavioral therapies or any therapies that, that the children are being asked of. I ran into this with my own son when he would he would used to say, Mom, I want to, but I can't. And he would try and it was really hurting his self-esteem. So we ended up pulling him out of therapies. And then I did a bunch of work with his biology and basically got him healthy. And then mm-hmm. he he was able to do whatever he was asked to do. But pre, prior to that, it was really difficult. So I, I always tell parents kind of gauge where your child's at. And if they're having that much trouble in a therapy, you might be, you know, wasting sort of your time, your money, and also having it be really hard on your child. So maybe if you can do a little bit of the, do more of the biological work and then bring them back in, um, sometimes you have a little bit more success. You know, this is a great place for us to take a short break. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. Stay with us. We will be right back. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and today we are talking about autoimmunity, pans or pandas with streptococcal infections in autism and how these co-infections trigger a lot of the health and behavioral issues uh, within your child. And now there are more solutions around what you can do and what you want to look for as far as symptoms in your child to recognize if this is a possibility to go and have them tested. And we'll talk a little bit more about Dr. Cunningham's specialized 
panel testing in, in a moment. Um, but first, I, I'd like to kind of further what we were talking about before the break. You know, your child might not have a sore throat, and a lot of people just associate strep only with throat. But then you can also have your tonsils taken out, and then you might have a throat culture come up negative. But strep can also be carried in the gut, and in fact. A person can be a strep carrier and pass it to others. Like I know that we can actually give it to our, our baby in utero. So they could be born with it. And then it might sort of lie sort of dormant. The symptoms might not be there. But then there are various triggers that can come into your life, various uh, stressors, whether they're external stressors in life or an internal stress like inflammation or toxic uh, exposure, things like that, that will create these PANS flare-ups, as we refer to them. So, Dr. Cunningham, can you elaborate on the things that I just mentioned um, from all of these pieces so that parents can hear a little bit more about about all that? Well, I think um, each each child is different, and you have to take it in context of that child. But... A lot of people always are asking me, should I have my child's tonsils out or should I not have my child's tonsils out? I think it just depends. Obviously, uh, if your child's tonsils are highly enlarged and have been severely infected and they're just really not going to get well, uh, then you really need to have the child's tonsils taken out. And uh, this can be very helpful uh, for the rest of the life of the child, especially if they can't breathe well, uh, and it could be affecting their sleep even. Uh, so it, it's very important to have the tonsils out when they're really needed. Uh, if they're not needed to be, you know, I, it, it, the data are both ways. I have There are papers that say it helped and other papers that say um it didn't uh, really in the long run when they looked at a large group of children statistically work. But I think, again, it's just an individual situation and it's possible that it can work. And certainly when tonsils are so infected or enlarged, it's really better for your child. And you need to do it at a younger age if possible uh, because you don't want to wait until they're adults. It's much harder on adults to have their tonsils out. Um, So, uh, again, uh, just briefly reiterating what I said is that uh, a child that has these symptoms of PANS or PANDAS, they may not actually get the sore throats that are so evident. They may simply pick them, pick up, uh, get colonized, and they may be colonized anywhere. And so it's always good when you take a throat culture to have a uh, rectal swab also and uh, their sinuses also potentially uh, could be swabbed, uh, where a swab is just um, actually uh, used in their nose, and you go up into the sinus and get a sinus swab just to make sure that they're not actually carrying it because there have been children that I've known to have sinus abscesses that really need to be um, um, taken out uh, and so sometimes uh, the parents have to uh, realize and decide that uh, the tonsils may need to come out, uh, a sinus abscess may need to be um, removed, and so on, so that you can clear up infections that may be a problem in your child and promoting this type of behavior uh, because ch- any time your immune system becomes um, exposed to 
certain bacteria, uh, whether you've seen them before, you're going to continually make an immune response. You make an immune response even to normal flora. So that's that's very important. Um, and um, also for the, the rest of the treatments, because I guess I should mention the treatment guidelines, um, is that after um, a certain time, if you aren't getting a response from antibiotics, you can uh, try steroids or anti-inflammatory treatments. Um, and, and I think uh, my advice to parents, and I think it probably is, an indivi- again, individual cases, uh, is that you have to look at your child and decide uh, what is best for him or her. And uh, if it's not, if the symptoms are tolerable and you can use uh, natural treatments or you can use um, treatments that are the least harmful, because I think in all medicine we want to do no harm, uh, is unless it's it's um, uh, extremely life um interrupting or life-threatening, then you, you, know, you don't want to have to use things like the IVIG or the plasma exchange or rituximab. These are reserved for children that don't eat because I didn't mention it, but sometimes um, anorexia is in 17% of the children uh, with PANS or PANDAS, and this can be very life-threatening. And at times, children have died because they uh, cannot stop their OCD or correct their OCD, and it becomes a very heart-wrenching situation for families. And I think all of this is looking at your family situation and uh, the child's behavior. Um, Karen, I don't know if you want me to mention any more about the treatments, but um, I'll let you chime in. I think you covered it pretty well. I mean, it's I I do everything naturally in my membership program too. We do work with with this in a natural way, and I, you know, I, like I said, if it's so extreme that maybe it, that parent feels that antibiotics that are something they want to do, but um, but there are are also natural uh, herbal remedies that can be used um, that I've had great success with. I'm kind of curious about the anorexia in 17% of children with PANS. Are you saying that is is that because they won't eat because of their OCD? They're just they're just too anxious, so they can't eat. And so if you can calm the PANS down, then you can then and the immune system down, then they're more likely to um, be able to eat, or because they can calm down. We have to be brief real quick. We'll we'll jump back to, to this after a commercial. Actually, why don't we go ahead and take the commercial and then we'll jump back into this because it's super important and I know parents really want to hear about it. So we're going to take a short break right here. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi there and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas. And today we're talking with Dr. Madeline Cunningham on autoimmunity PANS or PANDAS, streptococcal infections, as comorbid infections in autism. And before the break, we were talking, one thing I wanted to ask you, Dr. Cunningham, is about, you mentioned in 17% of children with, with PANS that they have anorexia because they can't correct their OCD. So I'm, I'm just wanting to clarify that you're saying that the symptoms of OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, the anxiety basically is so strong around food that they become obsessed with 
maybe not wanting to eat or only eating certain things because they're so locked into that's all they can do and they just can't correct that behavioral issue. So if you correct working with the the pans, if you work with the the infection that some of these OCD symptoms as they dissipate, then eat, picking eating is helped. Is 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 that a good way to put it? Yes, and I you know I do think the the immune system may play a role. Uh, I think anorexia is something that we totally don't understand. Um, the brain is our last frontier, and uh, it's so important that we continue research in this uh, because I don't I can't say, but I think that there have been some undertones that potentially uh, the antibodies against the D2 dopamine receptors potentially could play a role in anorexic behavior or in in anorexia. And I also know that as far as um, um, infections, if you have underlying infections or you make um, different responses to infections in other children, it's potentially a possibility that that cytokines could play a role because cytokines can make you not hungry and not eat. Uh, this is usually in, in severe infections like influenza, but um, but it's possible because we don't totally understand anorexia that somehow the autoantibodies and the uh, cytokines that uh, continue that uh, because it's like in rheumatoid arthritis, for example, uh, if you have very, very high um, IL-6 in that and in, in myocarditis and heart disease and any of these autoimmune diseases, high IL-6 is just a, a bad thing. It's a, a harbinger of not recovering. And so it may be that in these children that they have immune responses that make them such that it's very difficult for them to recover. Um, I still think that, you know, they they need to try, especially those that have a very severe uh, anorexic or OCD, that you need to at least make an effort to try to correct those pathways if you can as much as possible. Um, so that, But I think coming at it from all directions, from, you know, the, the items that you talk about in your, uh, your studies and then also from the immune point of view, trying to dampen the immune system uh, with steroids or rituximab or plasma exchange because this is what happens in children that are going to die from anorexia is that they must be, an attempt must be made to treat uh, the underlying issues, uh, which may be this encephalitis uh, caused by the dopamine receptor autoantibodies. So... This, for the for those listening, if you're not familiar with cytokines, basically they create inflammation. And one of the comorbid infections also of autism are the mold biotoxins. And it's actually called CIRS or chronic inflammatory response syndrome. So that and Lyme's disease, which is also another really common co-infection of autism. And these, these three together, you know, those two in PANS and PANDAS, come in and they basically trigger so many things in the immune system to react and the body's fighting so hard and creating all of this inflammation. And so we've got to bring all that down as we're also working with these co-infections because they're, they're again, 
the external stressor triggers. I had a mom write me uh, last week and she had said, you know, her son had had a pants flare up because of the the shut in from the shelter in place due to the COVID-19 issue. And he was just so stressed out from being locked in and, and that they couldn't do things. And so he, he all of a sudden was triggered. So external stressors or internal stressors from these other infections and things going on. So very important to, to work with all of those. And I want to make sure, Dr. Cunningham, you're really a specialist. You're uh, Molecular Labs in Oklahoma City. You have a website, molecular.com. Um, and I, I forgot to mention earlier for those listening that today's show notes will be at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 79. And so, Dr. Cunningham, why don't you tell us a little bit about the panel testing that you have developed and found to be helpful uh, in in looking for these things? Yes. Um, so the uh, panel consists of the four antigens that I mentioned uh, briefly earlier. They're autoantibodies against uh, tubulin, lysoganglioside, um, and the two dopamine receptors, D1 and D2. And then there is the signaling assay, which I think is really important. I can say that of the PANS and PANDAS children, 71% of the children approximately uh, signal uh, in the CAM kinase uh, assay and 71% approximately signal, uh, not signal, but to bind uh, to the dopamine D1 receptor. Um, in the case of Sydenham Korea, often it is a, a higher rate binding to the dopamine D2 receptor. And in Lyme disease, um, the lysoganglioside often uh, is the... Uh, autoantigen auto that's recognized. Uh, uh, we just published a recent paper in Brain Behavior and Immunity Health that discusses this, and also the CAM kinase is elevated uh, in um, uh, post-treatment Lyme disorder and uh, in Lyme disease. Uh, after It's very interesting because, remember, I talked about repeated infections, and the antibodies don't appear in people with Lyme disease to the lysoganglioside and to the CAM kinase until after the second exposure to Lyme. So uh, to me that is just another uh, uh, point because we know in rheumatic fever, again, the sequelae of rheumatic fever, just like the sequelae of Lyme, uh, requires then that you have these repeated infections uh, that you must have it more than once in order to um, trigger the immune system to uh, go be up above and beyond its calling, and then it ends up attacking your tissues, which, again, fortunately, autoimmunity is in a um, um, minority of people. Fortunately, most of us don't have it. But anyway, about the uh, company, Molecular Labs was formed um, a long time ago. I mean, it's, it's been, we've been in business for seven years. And there were a lot of people that helped us, which certainly Dr. Sweeto um, was one of those. And then uh, the OCD Foundation and Pepsi Global Giving and the David Judah Fund at um, Harvard University Department of Psychiatry. Uh, we had a, about 1,000 a patients that enrolled in our study uh, before we opened the company to be sure what, what was happening and what... Um, what we 
Um, and so from all of this, uh, we uh, began uh, the company. I would definitely like to know a little bit more um, about your study. And maybe if you have a, a link that you can give me, I can add it to the show notes as well. It, we're going to take sure. a short break right here. And then when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, you're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Have you ever wondered why some children recover from their symptoms of autism while others never seem to get any better? After 13 years of research, Karen Thomas has recovered her own son from his symptoms of autism naturally. She now shares how she did it with you in her free webinar so that you can have the right resources and knowledge to help your child. The definition of recovery is to regain health. Karen offers this to you in four stages. Healing the gut, natural heavy metal detoxification, balancing the co-infections of autism, brain support, and repair. Register now for this free webinar to help you know what you can do to help your child to sleep better, be more calm, improve focus, and reach their fullest potential to live a happy, healthy life. Go to naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop empowering parents with the resources to naturally recover autism from a mom who's done it hi there and welcome back to naturally recovering autism i'm your host karen thomas today we are talking with dr madeline cunningham on autoimmunity pans or pandas with streptococcal infections in autism as co-infections and I wanted to make sure I mentioned that the show notes today will be at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 79. And we are, we were talking about, this has been such an action-packed show. There's been so much value here and we're running low on time. So I want to make sure um, I will get the link to that paper that Dr. Cunningham just mentioned and add it to the show notes. And then, Dr. Cunningham, you also mentioned some uh, something about uh, some more signaling issues that you found yeah. to look for. So why don't you uh, go right. ahead and, and do that with the rest of our time? Right. We were talking about the panel that's offered at Molecular Labs, and the panel offers for um, the uh, autoantibodies against four um, autoantigens. But I didn't get a chance to talk about the signaling assay just so people can understand what it is. It's where the um, child's blood is taken, the serum, and placed onto neuronal, human neuronal cells. And we actually look directly to see if it's uh, signaling. And we measure the CAM kinase, which is a, it's a big name, calcium calmodulin-dependent protein kinase 2. But it's a very important signaling a molecule, and this eventually leads to too much dopamine production if the autoantibodies continue to do do their work uh, on a neuronal cell. And um, so the uh, the assay, even though it's called CAM kinase two, is still measuring the autoantibodies. And if there's too much, like dopamine, we can often be deficient in it. It helps us focus and things like that. But if somebody, this is found often, if somebody finds a really high in dopamine, then is it, is it fair to say that they likely have uh, possibly a PANS infection and, um, and that that could be a, a common trigger for, for high dopamine? Is that what we're looking at? Well, I wish that I could say yes, and I knew that. Mm. We've only done experiments like that in animals, and yes, it was high, but I I have not done anything in humans, so I have to say that I don't know. 
Mm-hmm. So you're looking in these for these signaling molecules. You can do these blood tests, um, basically, where you're you're adding some blood to these human cells and then seeing if they if they get triggered. Is that so? These yes, are most of these. Absolutely, and it actually is a very very um, important test because it's functional. It shows that the antibodies are actually in the child are doing something. And as I was saying, a large percentage. Uh, in the panel, um, uh, the other point is that uh, a child may only be positive in one of these things, like the CAM may be the only thing that's positive, or the tubulin, or the D1, or, or the D2, or the lysoganglioside. In Lyme disease, for example, it appears that only, um, only uh, the uh, lysoganglioside and signaling is seen. Yeah, I know there are a lot of things, especially with Lyme, that you have to really know what you're looking for because many times it will the tests will look as though they're negative mm-hmm. or will come up negative, right. and a person right. can actually be positive, which is yes. very I can frustrating. Give you the link, link to that paper. Okay, yeah, that would be great. We are out of time today, but Dr. Madeline, uh, Dr. Cunningham, thank you so much for being here with us. I really appreciate your your expertise and your time. And uh, everybody, again, show notes at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 79. And thank you again for being here with us. I look forward to seeing you next week and stay in and stay safe. We'll see you soon.